0: Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite and fantasy fiction, and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your next great read. So this is a bonus episode. We had so many strong feelings about this book that it could not be contained to a single episode. So if you're interested in listening to our very strong feelings, this is the episode for you.
1: This episode contains cursing as well as discussions about sex. So if that does not appeal to you, you may want to skip through certain sections of this podcast. We may or may not talk about nipples.
0: So Farah, the... Archeron sister's last name. Their name is Archeron, which is like one of the rivers in uh, Hades. And this author taps into different mythological themes, which I love. Like with Morrigan, more Morrigan, based mm-hmm. on like Morgan, uh, yeah, Morrigan, uh, Irish, uh, Irish folklore, I think Celtic folklore, maybe. Uh, but this book is sort of loosely based on the idea of the Hades Persephone story and I didn't make that connection until I read it but it totally makes sense with Reese being like our Hades character and Farrah being our Persephone character which I think is just perfectly fitting based on how much I love the Hades character and all of the Mm -hmm. incarnations of the Hades -Hades Persephone story that I've read.
1: (laughs) Uh, Okay so you know what I ended up reading? What did you read? Okay, so it was, uh, what was it? Scarlet St. Clair, I told you she put out one from Hades' point of view. Yeah? Yeah, I read it. Was it good? It was fine. It was like any book from, like, a male's perspective in a romance novel. Was it about, um, like,
0: wanting to bone her most of the time then?
1: Yep. A lot of of stuff about her
0: nipples. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) I don't... Why wouldn't we include that? (laughs) Yeah,
1: so I read That's that. Cool. So. Did you
0: read the so the Fifty Shades book? That author wrote uh, a book from Christian's perspective. Did you ever read that one?
1: I did not read it. Did you? I didn't.
0: E- no, I didn't finish. I didn't even ever get to the third book in the series. I was so bothered by the descriptions of the aggressive like penetration this is so not like I I can get on board with all of the fantasy stuff that we're reading and it being unrealistic but when we put it in that context I'm like I can't do it. Fair experiences I mean a lot of physical effects from because she's basically not sleeping so and she's waking up vomiting every night because of the fear so she's lost weight she's triggered by the color red now um, and she just feels trapped, basically.
1: One of the other things that I like was, so now she has a fae body, right? Mm-hmm. So she's high or Her adjustment to that, because she mentions that her legs are just a little bit too long. Her fingers are just a little bit too long. Like everything is just a little bit too much. Right. So she's also balancing this huge change to herself mm-hmm. physically, along with all these giant mental changes that happened due to the trauma that happened with under the mountain and combined, it's got to be incredibly overwhelming.
0: Right. And on top of that, she starts realizing that not only is she in a completely new body, but she's like got insane power lurking beneath the surface, the surface, because all of the high Lords gave her her like a little nugget of power so she could basically regenerate and live again. And so not only is she dealing with all of this stuff, but and her body's too big and too different. But now she has moments where it's like claws magically shoot out of her hands, or she leaves burn marks on the table, or she like bends a
1: fork in half. She's super strong. She doesn't have any control over it. And nobody helping her to channel it. Right. So, right. Very lonely. Mo- very lonely time for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She also. Uh, she mentions that she doesn't feel the mating Bond with Tam yeah, And that makes her hesitate with The wedding too there's yeah. a part Where she says if she could just wait a little While longer until she adjusts Until the mating bond snaps Into place mhm um,
0: yeah, but Tamlin's like, everything will be fine once we get married. Like, we'll just get over this. It's not, it's not like wanting to understand her problems. It's like he just wants, I, it's almost like he wants something that's going to force her to be tied to him. I don't know if he's maybe starting to feel like some of her concerns. And so he's wanting this connection so that she can't escape him. So on the, and upon reading this the second time, I started to have you know, more conflicted feelings about how much dislike I have for Tamlin. Because on the first read, it's definitely like Tamlin sucks. On the second read, I was like, Tamlin has definitely got some psychological issues that he's not coping with. And so, oh, I don't want to say that I'm a little bit more sympathetic to him. But I feel like my understanding of why he's acting the way he is acting, even though it is awful for Farah, my understanding of those actions is a little bit better and clearer yeah. upon the second read In the first read i was just like what a jerk this guy sucks
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you know he definitely has his own trauma that he's coping with and i think this kind of speaks to uh moss's writing style as well mm-hmm. is that she's able to take him and even though he's he started out great You know, we're like, oh, he's amazing. Looking Mm -hmm. back, we now see these things that were not so amazing, like maybe his issues with control that he had in the first book. Mm -hmm. And bringing this into the second book and elaborating on those and just, it's this slow, I mean, it's, there's this one, you know, the one main thing that happens, but it's sort of a slow descent into Mm -hmm. their relationship, breaking up and realizing that Tamlin is abusive. Yeah. Yeah. One of the other things that is on our list is Farah and how she wants to help the villagers. You know, she wants to go into t- uh, the village and help them. And when she goes, they don't want her help. They call her Farah, a curse breaker. And it's not because they, they don't like her. It's just they say your debt is paid. Or right. On those lines. So, so they don't want her help. But this whole feeling of wanting to help people and connecting to poorer people carries through to the tithes when the water wraiths uh, can't afford their tithe and she helps them because she understands what it's like to be poor to not be able to eat and be starving and meanwhile Tamlin doesn't have that knowledge and he's just demanding that they bring he uh, gets fish from them or a certain amount of gold even though it may be completely impossible right so, I think, uh, yeah, this probably
0: just speaks a lot to like Tamlin's privilege. So, he's not ever, I mean, we don't hear anything basically in the entire time that Farah is in the Spring Court in the first book and then for the first part of this book about anybody else in the Spring Court except like at the ties maybe, and when Farah goes to the village to try to help. So, I wonder if that suggests like maybe Tamlin just doesn't have a good connection with the people that he's supposed to be in charge of. Like he's not aware of what, yeah, there's like another person suffering. He lives in his manor and he polices the land for, you know, monsters that may be killing. But but when we see this later in the book, Reese seems to have more awareness of what's going on with the people who live in Valeris. He, um, is more connected and it we we have no mention of any of the villagers in the Supreme Court most of the time which kind of suggests that there's a disconnect between Tamlin as a ruler and his interaction with the people and so because of that he doesn't have that awareness of maybe what it is to suffer to be empathetic to other people who don't have the same amount of privilege as you I mean would you agree
1: I do agree and I think it's interesting to compare Tamlin and Reese in this situation because even though Reese, so he still came from, he had a father who was similar as a high lord to Tamlin's mm-hmm. father, but he also had the experience of going off and training with the, oh my gosh, Illyrians. How do you say it? Ill- I- Illyrians? Illyrians. Illyrians. Yeah, that which shapes how he rules his people. So Tamlin just doesn't have any of that experience, but he was, he did, he was a warrior. So you would think he'd at least be able to connect that way. Right. And,
0: and he, he trained with his soul, like the soldiers that was part of like his prior to coming into power to stay away from his family. He like went to the borderlands and trained with the soldiers. So you would think he would have developed some awareness of other people's needs from that, but it, it doesn't seem that way.
1: Yeah. And that carries over into his relationship too. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, he doesn't really see her needs. And his one friend, well, I mean, well, his one friend, Lucian. His bestie. His bestie. They're not even that great of friends because Lucian is pretty much scared of Tamlin. He's not willing to press an issue with him too much. And Tam, because Tamlin will put him in his place. And we see that huge contrast with Reese and his inner circle. Yeah, you know, where they all talk as equals and stuff.
0: Yeah, and, and challenge each other and give each – like, they joke around. There's definitely – it's almost like Tamlin's being coddled, maybe. You know, like, mm-hmm. we can't push him too far. Just wait a little bit while longer. He's just going through – he's just going through a hard time right now. Like, who's not going through a hard time right? except Yante because she – fortunately luckily for her was able to escape to another continent during amaranthus rule so she never suffered any of the ill effects of her um her reign of terror basically but uh, who isn't going through a hard time at this point yeah.
1: tamlin and, I mean, yeah tamlin just has people making excuses for him specifically lucian and mm-hmm. you know because he, he doesn't have a lot of friends otherwise to make excuses for him right so so then i was going to talk about their uh one of their big fights that they had after the tide,
0: Mm -hmm. right?
1: Um, When he starts destroying the study that they're in and she has to, again, protect herself. uh, Yeah. Uses that power that she got, the wind, which I think Mm -hmm. comes from day court. Yeah, I think so. Comes from one of the other courts. Day or dawn. She has to use that wind to protect herself. Yeah. And... uh, Tamlin is just like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I won't do it again. It's just hard for me.
0: Mm -hmm. It was just a stressful day. Uh, Yeah, that's let's move on. And then they just have sex because why would we address our actual problems when we could just have sex (laughs) (laughs) and not address our problems? That'll just make everything better. Yeah, that seems like such... I mean, I feel like you hear that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Let's not deal with our problems. Just (laughs) have sex until we don't have problems anymore, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good. So, there's a lot of good imagery there too. I think that speaks to like the potential violence that Tamlin could experience as well. So, in that scene, he gives her a paint set because he still hasn't noticed that she's not painting because she can't stand like the color red or painting anymore. So, he gives her a paint set and it's like, I just thought if you could paint, you might feel better. And she's like, I feel like I'm drowning and you're the one holding my head underwater. And so he explodes at her. She protects herself. But we get so this imagery that Mass describes is like that there's red paint uh, that's dripping down the wall in the wake of his anger. And I, you know, red imagery is often associated with like death and murder and violence. And that I think is good imagery for the potential like escalation of the violence that she could see in Tamlin over time, right? Because at this point, so up until this point, it's just been, like, him being kind of irritated with her pushing him to let her do more things. But at this, like, now, it's, there's, like, a physical manifestation of violence
1: toward her. Yeah. And it's also one of those things when you think about abusive relationships, that's how it works. It slowly gets more and, like, it slowly escalates more and more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and that's a good example. And sort of like, well, what happens na- next? Yeah. And we know. Oh, there's this recurring idea or theme that Amarantha is still with them and that they've never really escaped under the mountain. So they both have nightmares, mm-hmm. right? Of yeah. this. Reese says this uh, quote to her at some point about um, how like, she wins if you drown in sorrow. If mm-hmm. you drown yourself in sorrow. So even though Amarantha's dead, You know, she Mm -hmm. still has some hold on them, right? Some way. So that's an interesting thing that together, though, her and Reese together work towards like pulling each other out of that. Right. There's Mm -hmm. definitely this bonding
0: that they experience over shared trauma. And the thing is, she could have done that with Tamlin if he would have opened up to her. There's definitely at Reese. It's just a difference in character, I guess. So Reese is definitely more open to being emotionally vulnerable and sharing his experiences where Tamlin is so closed off.
1: Yeah. And not to, I guess, compare trauma, but Reese was trapped with Amarantha as her sex toy, right? For like 50 years. Mm Mm-hmm. And was horribly abused and made to do all these things that he didn't want to do you mm-hmm. know torturing people and Tamlin th- oh, yeah Tamlin had to wear a mask for 50 years
0: and <laughs> he had to sit next to Amarantha for like three months while Farrah was fighting through
1: her trials I guess So. so it's amazing to me End to you, because we've talked about it, that he yes. recovered—not recovered, but he, he is still able to be so vulnerable and uh-huh. open—and ugh,
0: right he for sucks. the for the amount of trauma that Reese experienced, it's amazing that he's so willing to be opened. And yeah, I mean, like you said, we don't want to compare traumas, but Reese endured a lot. He did. Yeah,
1: I think another big difference though between Reese and Tamlin in, t- in terms of coming out of their traumas is that Reese has this support system. He has his right. friends, mm-hmm. you know, and he also knows that he was able to keep them safe.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Whereas Tamlin was unable to keep Pharaoh safe and right. was pretty powerless. Yeah, which then I guess links back to him trying to control her and locking right. her up. But and, and we've
0: discussed, you know, he doesn't really have Lucian is his best friend and even as his best friend, he doesn't he fears him. I, I don't I mean, do you think he fears him? I don't know if it, if it's that he fears him or if it's just that he's very like kid gloves with him. So
1: I think there's some fear because when Lucian is trying to tell Tamlin to let Farah train, there's like a ripple of power that goes out.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: Farah says, like, oh, she didn't want to know what like or wondered what Lucian's reaction was to that power because mm-hmm. it silenced everyone. Right. So there's there's some level of fear there. Right. Sure and that Hamlin would act on it. I don't know. Yeah.
0: But, yeah. But it's I mean, it's not like an open it's not like the type of friendship where you can just say whatever you want to your friend, which is what Reese has with his his inner circle. You know, they tease each other, they can share things. Mm-hmm. and tamlin doesn't have that T- lucian is probably his closest friend and us his closest friend he they don't have that type of relationship everyone else that we hear tamlin talk about are servants and you know he's not sharing his deep dark secrets with them so. just so she's having it. yeah she's having a nightmare and she can hear someone screaming her name and it's reese and he wakes her up from it, and then she immediately starts vomiting, and her fingers are on fire. That's and, right. Yeah, and so she's, like, over the toilet, fingers are on fire, and he's, like, just imagine them going
1: out, like, candles one by one or something. It is a really sweet moment, yeah. And it's amazing that he has something to say to her, like, right away, because I don't know what I would do if, you know, I woke up and somebody was screaming and was having a nightmare, and they're kind of like flames coming out of their hands mm-hmm. you know i don't think my reaction <laughs> don't, would be just, you don't know
0: what you would do in that situation
1: <laughs> I mean I don't think my reaction would be to like be super calm and say no. just imagine them going out like candles I'd yeah. probably be like put them in the
0: toilet <laughs> holy shit your fingers are on fire <laughs>
1: More <laughs> of a natural, like fire. Put it in water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but he was just, you know, super chill. He just knows <laughs> what to do. He does. I mean, he's like five hundred plus years old, so yeah. And maybe he's experienced this before. Maybe, or he at least uh, like he's able to stay very calm in all manner of situations. Right. Quickly assess what's needed yeah I feel like 500 years
0: would give you a lot of time to like manage your stress response yeah he Reese is very permissive you know he lets Farah choose what she wants to do he doesn't force her to fit into any specific role he doesn't like his expectations for her are whatever she wants to do he and I I, probably goes to like speaks to maybe someone who has been dealing with the trauma that they've experienced already and allowing another person to feel out what's comfortable for them because they've had similar experiences.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He's just so great. <laughs> I can't say it enough. Can't say it enough. If For every, for every time that we say Tamlin sucks in this episode,
1: we're going to say that Reese is the bomb like 10 times more. Uh-huh. He's just so great. He yeah. really is. And he loves his people and his, court so much yeah. like so when she gets there and he well after she goes for a nap whatever they go for a walk and he's greeting people and saying hi and they know him and it's more of a casual thing and we had talked about it a little bit earlier in contrast with how Tamlin doesn't know anybody you know right and mm-hmm. and it's very clear that he loves it. and there's this tension a little bit because Pharaoh's is like well you protected this you didn't think to protect like let other people in mm-hmm. on it and he's uh, he didn't, like, really try to defend himself. He's just like, yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Because these are my people sort of thing. Like, right. right
0: yes. Yeah. He, I mean, and I think it's not like Reese is acknowledging that he was only able to help his people and not these other people. And, I, I mean, he doesn't, it's not that he's not recognizing that those other people died or experienced terrible things, but, I mean, as a leader his first priority is going to be to protect his people, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what you would want from your leader is someone who would protect you. And then maybe if the resources were available, be able to devote that to helping other people. And so, I mean, it sounds, I can, I mean, I get why Farah is upset that he kept Valeris the secret and wasn't able to offer help to other people, but. Amarantha took most of his powers, so he was devoting whatever power he had left to silencing people who might have had any idea who he was close to, who was, like, his inner circle were, who might have any sort of idea about Valerius, and he, I mean, if he had his full power, maybe he could have provided or offered more protection to, but that's not the case. That wasn't what happened, and so I get Feyre, Feyre being upset, but... He did the best he could with what he had,
1: mm-hmm. and I don't
0: feel like he should have to be very apologetic for that.
1: No, he's, no, and he's not apologetic for it. Like no. even when she's like, he's, yeah, he did. He's not apologetic. So, an interesting, I guess, another comparison between Tamlin and Reese is, you know, Tamlin's always growling, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Reese is always described as purring. <laughs> So we've got kind of a contrast there
0: yeah D- a difference in, in animal sounds <laughs> <laughs> what is would
1: you mean?
0: would you rather be growled at or purred at is there is there a, <laughs> Is there an animal sound that you have a preference for?
1: <laughs> I mean how do you purr the like I feel like growling is easier I, to do and sounds less awkward than purring like because I mean is like a rattling like <laughs> hold on, I can do it. <sighs> Oh, okay. That's it. It's
0: just like a, it's like rolling your eye. Uh So obviously I would choose, pur- choose purring because that's something I actually, so that's how I talk to my cats. <laughs> 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 I, I I purr at them and meow at them, but I would probably choose purring over growling because that's a sound I can actually make. <laughs> my girl is just going to be like a grr. Right. Whereas if it was like, since he, since Tamlin has a beast in him, I'm imagining it sounds like an actual animal girl.
1: (laughs) Uh, I don't know if I would really have a preference. (laughs) I don't, I don't know. I don't really know what I would do if anybody made those noises. If
0: anybody purred at you, you'd just be like, okay, get me out of (laughs) here. Yeah. I'm not comfortable Um, anymore. (laughs) I think it depends on the context of the situation. If a purr is appropriate, then it's okay.
1: (laughs) And also on here is we're going back to scents, which I think we talked about last time. But Reese's sweat is described as smelling like sea and citrus. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So... (laughs) You get another you unique like? odor. Yes. Probably smell like it's sunscreen, <laughs> <laughs> margaritas and sunshine.
1: <laughs> I, like I don't even I I don't know. Clean cotton's one of my favorite scents. So I'm gonna go with I smell like clean cotton.
0: Clean cotton, yeah. yeah. Like a sheet on a line on a sunny breezy day, <laughs> just flapping in the wind.
1: Yeah, that's that's me. you it's when you mentioned the siphons earlier and you mm-hmm. said it was part of their like uniform or whatever yeah yeah i i pictured crystals yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what i had in my mind is not something that would fit in with like warrior garb at all right it's definitely like jewelry <laughs> okay right i mean isn't that kind of what you're maybe if you're pictures? yeah i mean yeah, mm-hmm. it's yeah my mind did not form a good image of what these things are supposed
1: to look like yeah but so the uh the siphons speak to azriel and uh, cassian's power
0: mm-hmm. because
1: they're normally like it's a big honor if you're given one right just mm-hmm. help them channel their power sort of thing mm-hmm. and they both have multiple And they were Mm -hmm. both bastards. So that makes a big, that left a big impression on the people they were training with. And everyone was real mad about it too.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. They didn't want them to have those siphons. They did not want to share their, I don't know, magic channeling devices. They were definitely salty about it. One of my favorite quotes, I love exclamations (laughs) that people use different, like cultural context things. And so uh, Rhysand says something at one point, um, and Cassian exclaims mother's tits. (laughs) (laughs) And I love that. I love different context. Like, I don't know. So on like the great British baking show, for example, one of the things that people often exclaim is like bloody Nora or in uh, a discovery of witches, I think it's Galaglass who says Jesus and his lambs. Um, I just love little excla- exclamatory things like that. They just, they amuse me. So mother's tits, mother's
1: tits.
0: gave cauldron. me a laugh. Cauldron boil me. That's yeah. another one that they say in this book.
1: Mm-hmm. Cauldron boil
0: me. Yeah. Or by the cauldron. That's another one that they do. By the cauldron.
1: <laughs> it sounds so not like threatening though or <laughs> anything, you know? It's like,
0: oh, okay. With a cauldron. Yeah. <laughs> And then here comes the cauldron trying to ruin your life. Yeah.
1: So, So. (laughs) go ahead. Sorry, I was just. No, you're fine. I was picturing like a cauldron walking. to get you
0: it's coming kind of like the broom and uh exactly like fantasia yes (laughs) just a cauldron hobbling around on its little feet coming after you (laughs) (laughs)
1: that's what i pictured
0: nice that's that's good i could see that (laughs) so before they prepare to go to the human realm more is explaining to Farah some of the challenges that she endured growing up in the the court of nightmares. And Farah says she wants more to meet her sisters so that they can hear this quote, which I really like. She says, uh, there is a special strength in enduring such dark trials and hardships and still remaining warm and kind and still willing to trust and to reach out. I like that a lot. I think Nesta's heart is so, and I don't, I can't, I feel like from the beginning, she says that Nesta has always been pretty cold, but especially after their mom dies and their dad fails to provide for them, she just is described as being so serious and bitter and cold. And I think that's something that we could probably all, I mean, everybody has dark times and struggles and trials. And it's hard to be kind and to trust and reach out to people when you've been hurt. Um, But how do you forge connections if you're not willing to do those things? Mm -hmm. One of my favorite things that Moore says to Feyre is so it's when they're preparing to go back to the human realm and Moore has just shared some of the horrible experiences that she had. Um, at this point, she's still being pretty vague about what's happened to her, but she's shared a little bit with Feyre about the bad things that have happened to her. And she she says to Feyre, there are good days and hard days for me even now. Don't let the hard days win. And I really like that quote. I think it's important to recognize that there are going to be some things that happen to you that you just don't I mean they continue to affect and shape you for the rest of your life and there are going to be days even when you're distant from things that have caused you to have grief or pain um, and even though you're not in that moment anymore you've maybe healed from it so they can still affect you um they can still you can still have hard days because of those things even though it's it's in the past and even though you have those hard days we can't let them overshadow maybe all of the good days that you've had since then really I love I love every time he calls her Feyre darling he starts doing that really early on in their interactions with each other mm-hmm. and it becomes kind of snarky in the beginning but it really turns into affection later I just love that Feyre darling
1: Some quotes I had, I have, um, I didn't think even eternity would be long enough to fix me. So this is said at uh, close to the beginning of the book. And Farrah says says this uh, right after, I believe she's um, throwing up. And she's thinking about how she now has eternal life, but she's still having these nightmares. And starts off on such a stark note of, I didn't think even eternity would be long enough to fix me. And it goes on with this hopelessness that she feels. Mm-hmm. The next one I have, Farah uh, is, she's saying it, um, and it's about having a conversation with Tamlin about what's going on. And she says, it's it was never the time for this conversation or that conversation, but I didn't say it. I didn't have the energy to say it. And all the words dried up and blew away. Mm -hmm. And I like that, you know, so she's depressed. She's in this abusive relationship now with Tamlin and realizing that it's just, she's just losing her energy to do things and her passions. Mm -hmm. And that imagery of the words dried up and blew away. That's probably my favorite part of that quote. Yeah. One of my other quotes that I really liked was said by Reese. I love my people and my family do not think I wouldn't become a monster to keep them protected. So Reese is saying that in regards to what happened with Amarantha under the mountain and also what he might do in the future for his family and his friends and his people. But there's that cute little scene I think also when they're in the mortal uh, human realm between Vera and Reese, They are sharing a room but not a bed and Reese heats Pharaoh's uh, bed mm-hmm. for her and she comments on it and she says thank you for mm-hmm. doing this and Reese says that in all the 50 years that he did it for Amarantha she never once said thank you yeah and it's just this little another one of those little moments of vulnerability mm-hmm. where you know he opens up about what happened yeah and what it was like and
0: yeah so as part of being a, a day Mahdi where they can tap into another person's mind, Reese allows Feyre to see his interactions with Yante. So at this point, Lucian has basically rejected Yante. That happens earlier in the book. And then we get we get comments from Reese about disliking Yante, but he doesn't ever explain why until we get to this point where he allows Feyre to come into his mind and basically see his memory with her. And so in that memory, we see Yante. She is in Reese's room naked, sprawled out on his bed, like trying to get him to come and have sex with her. She's trying to entice him because she wants to have strong little progeny. And he is the biggest, baddest, strongest high Lord there is. And so she basically forces herself on him. He rejects her, tells her to get out of his room and she walks up and acts like she's just going to grab his crotch. And so he uses his power to like harm her. Like he uh, injures her hand basically and tells her that if she ever tries to put her hands on himself or any member of his court again that he'll injure her and she won't recover from it. Basically. He says, your hands will heal now, but do not ever do this again. And so that ends up being a really. I mean, it's a hard scene for Farah because she's able to remember Lucian's dislike for. And she's starting to wonder, like, was he basically groped assaulted by her in his, in this court, Which it would be really hard for Lucian because the spring court is basically his safe place. He can't go back to the autumn court because his family will kill him. So the spring court is going to be his haven, basically. And now Yante has returned from uh, the continent where she was and is trying to make moves to uh, seduce Lucian. And she makes a comment about how he's rejected her advances, but has he like groped her? And so Feyre feels bad. Like what if this happened and she wasn't able to protect him? Cause Feyre is our protector. And then that's such a difficult, that's so hard. And I think Feyre mentions this in the book too. You know, he protected himself when he was able to from being uh, touched when he didn't want to be touched by someone when in this situation with Yante, but then years later, He allows himself to be touched repeatedly by Amarantha, this person who's asking him to do these awful things and is doing awful things to him, things that he does not really want so that he can protect his uh, family, his inner circle, Valeris, all of these things. He doesn't have the ability to say no anymore without compromising
1: everything that he loves, which is awful it's amazing he recovers as well as he does it is
0: thank you for listening to literary quest we hope you enjoyed our episode if you'd like to follow us on social media we can be found at literary quest podcast on instagram or facebook you're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com thanks again